Indeed, happy Mother's Day to everybody. We are so honored, moms, that you're here with us. And uh, I believe we're all here, and God's got something for us as, as we gather today. I love, I absolutely love the honesty and the innocence of children. And, and it's so refreshing, their honesty, well, maybe not always refreshing, but humorous nonetheless. This past uh, week, a little over a week ago, my sister uh, relayed a message to me that my niece, uh, about five years old, uh, came to her and just looked up and said, Mom, you're just the best. You fix everything when it's broken, even Daddy. Which I got a great big kick out of. We are really, really grateful for all the moms, all of you. We... One thing I, I know for sure is that without women, we would have an incomplete picture of who God is. Without moms and wives and ladies, we would have an incomplete picture of who God, who God is. See, because we both, men and women, were created in the image and the reflection of God, of our triune God. To, to point back and to give indicators and to, to give symbols and recognition and to help other people in our world understand, recognize, and see God. It, that's how he created us in this series, Freedom, that we are in. Week number three of this series, Freedom. We've been going back to the very beginning of it all, all the way back to the beginning of creation. And we're looking at what God created and how he intended us to live so that as we are in progress, moving towards completion of life, we can experience the fullness of God has. See, we, we all had a starting point. That was creation. We're not quite yet to completion in our lives. And somewhere in between those two is a little bit of chaotic, sometimes confusion, and just stuff that occurs in our lives. And one thing I know is that God created us to be free, and one day we will be fully free. And in the process of time, God still wants you to live free. If you can look back at the very beginning in Genesis 1 and 27, it says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Both male and female, he created them. Verse 7 of chapter 2 says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Because of the Spirit of God that is birthed inside of you, at the moment you were conceived in the womb, God's creative force was at work, imprinting in you the very life of God, creating a desire and a capacity to reflect, to point to, and to showcase the character, the nature, and the nurture of God himself. Somewhere along the way, though, we looked last week, Adam and Eve kind of made a mess of it. If you keep reading the creation story, you'll find that Adam and Eve, God created them in this garden. It was beautiful. There were trees all around and said, hey, you can... You can live freely and eat from any of these trees that you want. Eat from any of them that you want, except for this tree that's in the middle, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of this tree, you're going to die. 
The moment you eat of it, something in you will die. But that wasn't the only tree that God put in the middle of the garden. There was a second tree that God had placed in the middle of the garden. It was known as the tree of life, the tree of life. Last week, we looked exclusively at the tree of knowledge of good and and, and evil, of good and evil, how when we live from the perspective of just knowing good and bad, knowing right and wrong, just having this head knowledge, this understanding, if we reduce God down to a list of rules to follow, we, we create a legalistic approach to God. Today, I want to talk a little bit more about the tree of life because that's, there's a better approach, really, to life. There's a better approach to God than legalism and performing and external circumstances to try and earn God's approval, wondering if you're approved. No, we, we don't want to live that way. We want to live from the tree of life, which allows us to have eternal life, which allows us to have life in Christ, life to the full, life to the max, enjoying everything. And it's a better approach. And that approach isn't a legalistic approach. It's a relationship approach. God wants to have this relationship with you and with me. But because Adam and Eve took and ate of the wrong fruit, they ate from the wrong tree, sin showed up. And sin showed up and made a mess of everything, even creating confusion us to identities and roles and what God has says is good. And, and we start to come up with our own solutions because we're being led by our own knowledge and our own insight and our own human understanding. And we're missing the whole voice of God and the process and the life of God and the process. And they made a mess of everything. They made a mess of everything. But we, we ended last week, not just in a mess, but with an understanding that Jesus came to clean up the mess. Jesus came to reverse the curse that showed up. Jesus came to redo and undo and to renew what sin showed up in the first place. And and you see it in Galatians chapter three, where, where Paul's writing, he says, hey, Christ has redeemed you from the curse because he became a curse himself. He took all of the curse of sin in himself. Why? Because he hung on a tree. He died on a cross. And the law says that any person who is crucified or hangs on a tree is cursed. Jesus reversed the curse. Because he went back onto a tree, took the curse that started because somebody took some fruit off of a tree. And because Jesus went to the cross and we put our faith in him... Galatians goes on to tell us that we, brothers and sisters, are called then to be free. Some of us have been living our life as if Christ never really paid for our sins. We've been paying ourselves over and over and over again, trying to compensate, cover up, and fix something we were never intended to compensate, cover up, or fix. It's when we put our faith in Jesus that he comes to redeem, to rectify, to make right, to renew, to restore, to refresh every bit of God's life to grow in us. Friends, I came to tell you today, you were designed to live free. Not bound by legalism, not bound by rules, not reducing God to a list of instructions of do's and don'ts, but to have a vibrant, healthy, growing relationship with God Almighty God intended for you to live freely in relationship with him. I mean, as parents, isn't that what we want? 
As a mom, isn't that what you want? To live freely in relationship with your kids, for them to know the extent to which you would be willing to go to make sure they knew they were loved, that they were valued, that they were accepted, that they were gifted, that they were special, that they were loved, right? Wouldn't you go to all sorts of extremes to communicate that to your own offspring and to your own children? That's a a characteristic, friends, of God. That's a reflection and a and, a, and an understanding that God feels the exact same about you and about me. I want to share three thoughts with you today before we make some practical application here at the end on eating from the tree of life. I, I, I believe that if we're going to live freely, it all starts because we finally start to eat from the tree of life, the, the tree that produces eternal, lasting, satisfying, fulfilling life. This life that God wants you and I to have. The tree of life, when you eat from the tree of of life, it will result in fellowship with God. That's that's the end result. That's it. That's what it's all about. Fellowship with God. Listen to this prayer that Jesus prayed. In John 17, verse 3, you see the very beginning of a prayer that Jesus would pray before he would be betrayed crucified, buried, raised to life again. But for any of that, he was spending some time praying. And this is what Jesus was praying. Listen to these words. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you. Everybody say no. That they know you, the only true God, and know Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. God wants you to know him. He wants you to have fellowship, friendship, relationship with him. That's eating from the tree of life. And that's the result. That fellowship with God is the result of that fruit, of that tree. Now, in the original language in Greek, not to bore you with all the details, but there are two different Greek words used to, uh, or that are translated into our word, no, two of them. The first one has this uh, connotation or this idea that uh, you know a fact immediately. As if you were to know somebody's name. You meet them for the first time, they say their name, you now know their name. It's an immediate fact that you've got. The second Greek word is this word gnosko. It appears multiple times in the New Testament. And every time it's used, it's really used to talk about a friendship and a relationship with God that is ever-evolving and growing, intimate even. It's the same word they would use to talk about how a man knows a woman, Hugh Barry White. Right? Like that, that kind of knowing. And this, this idea of knowing. So, so the first type of knowing is just immediate fact. You got it. Immediate fact. The second type of knowing, which is what's used here in John 17, this word gnosko, it's like knowing somebody for a lifetime. It's the difference between immediately knowing their name and knowing them for a lifetime. That's the relationship God wants to have with you in ever-evolving, ever-growing, understanding, day-by-day unfolding of his goodness experienced in your life. The more you get to know God, the more good you realize he is. The 
the more transparent and honest and truthful you get with God, the, the more you understand how good God really is. It's, it, it keeps you going back for more. Have you ever known something to be so good that you just got to keep going back for more? I'm sure your mom has a dish that she used, something that she makes that just is better than anybody else's. And if you're not sure what that is, just pretend like something is because she's sitting next to you. Right? Like there's probably a di- there's something that my mom makes that I don't care who tries to make it. It's not going to be better. It's, it's pumpkin rolls. When my mama makes pumpkin rolls, my sisters can try. They ain't as good. I mean, I'll eat them, let's be honest, but they ain't as good. And it, it's something that I know I've experienced again and again and again, and I'm fully convinced of it. I'm sure of it. I'll keep going back for more. Listen, when you start to get to know God's goodness, when you get to know who he is, when you start tasting of this life that God has for you and you know of the love that he's given to you, you keep coming back for more. Some of you, you started coming to church and you started to to be introduced to the real Jesus and all of a sudden you're showing up a second time and you're showing up another time and another time and it's just continuing to grow and grow because you're starting to know new dimensions and understanding of who God is. That's what God wants from you. That's what God has in store for you. The highest calling in life is to be a son or a daughter, fully known by God and always growing in knowledge of our God. Ladies, your highest calling is not to motherhood. Your highest calling is to be known and loved by God. Fellas, Your highest calling isn't to be the protector, the provider, the all things to your lady. No, your highest calling is to be a humble son, loved by your God and known by him. The highest calling of all of humanity is to know, God, go all the way back to the beginning. What was it Adam and Eve got to do before they sinned, before it ever showed up? The Bible says they would walk and talk with God every day. They had a fellowship that was pure and wonderful with God. God wants you to know him. Secondly is this, is that fellowship, it it results in a new innocence. See, fellowship with God will result in innocence. It's, It's not the other way around. Your innocence doesn't allow you to have deeper fellowship with God. It is only from the place of you continuing to know God you become more and more innocent. In the beginning, Adam and Eve were naked and they felt no shame, Genesis 2.25. Fast forward Genesis 3, they ate the fruit, sin showed up and all of a sudden their eyes were open. They're like, naked and they felt shame. Why? Innocence was gone. Their fellowship was broken. But when they were in fellowship with God, innocence was there. Colossians says that we are seated in Christ We are in Christ, covered in Christ. In other words, when you put your faith in Jesus, when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees Jesus. When you put your faith in Jesus and and you you allow that work of what God has done to, to fill your life, you show up and God's like, ah, I see my son. I see what my son did. I, I see that they are saved and set right. They are in right relationship 
with me. Isaiah 61 says that we've been clothed in salvation, that, that he puts on you and me a robe of righteousness. It is Christ's righteousness that he clothes you. Where Adam and Eve tried to cover up with fig leaves, Jesus shows up and says, I got a full robe for you. It's called righteous. Where you don't even have to think about it anymore. You just know that you're loved and accepted. And it allows for this innocence to grow, this, this purity of heart to grow. But what do you mean, Pastor? I, I mean this, First Peter 2 and verse 1 through 3. Therefore, rid yourself of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. You can rid yourself of those things. You don't, you don't have to lie because you can be fully known by God and loved by God. You, you don't have to put on a face masquerading around, pretending to be something that you're not. No, you, you, can, you can be you because God loves you. You don't have to put on airs or try to impress anybody because nothing you can do to, can impress God. He's already fully in love with you, head over heels crazy about who you are and who he's created you to be. You are his beloved. Goes on to say like newborn babies crave milk so that you can grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted, check this out, that the Lord is good. The more you get to know God, the more you experience God's goodness, the more innocent and pure in your heart you become. And here's why that's important, because your innocence, while it's a result of your fellowship with God, your innocence is what produces true freedom in you. That's what produces true freedom in you. Think, think of it like this, a toddler getting done with bath time, escaping the towel, running around the house buck naked, and not a care in the world. And every mom and dad laughing and taking great delight in the playful, joyful innocence. Friends, when you grow in your friendship with God, there's an innocence that grows that allows you to become childlike in your faith before God. Not trying to impress God, not trying to wonder if you're accepted by God, not, not trying to, to figure things out. It's just knowing that you are loved and adored by God where you're fully wrapped up in who he is and what he's done for you. It's this, this childlike, unencumbered, uh, this childlike, pure, without guile, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, or slander. It's just this pure love for God and from God. Today, my kids are gonna bring some cards to my wife for Mother's Day that they made. And they're going to show up and give them to her. She's first going to be surprised. Oh, you shouldn't have. Really? She's going to look at them. Like, oh, that's so awesome. Love on them. And the kids won't for a second be thinking, I wonder if she really liked my picture. I wonder if she was just saying it because she has to say it. I don't think she really means it that way. I wonder, I wonder what she was really thinking. They don't, they don't think that way, do they? Why? Because they're innocent in their heart. 
Friends, that's why Jesus said that if you really want to see the kingdom of heaven, you've got to become childlike in your faith. He didn't say be childish. Childlike. Innocence. This this innocence before God that allows you to be fully confident. On the first Wednesday of every month, we have a a first Wednesday prayer gathering here at the church. Seven o'clock. And this past... Um, past beginning of the month we, we were finishing up our time of prayer and everybody kind of gathered in circles to pray and then, everybody was praying and I was finishing up, I was coming off stage and there were two young boys that were here with their dad and uh, I, they, they were laying hands on the chairs uh, praying over the chairs and I gathered them. I said, come here, guys. Come here, guys. Let's, let's circle up. Let's pray together. So they came right over. I got down, sat down right there, eye level, grabbed their hands. I said, what can we pray about? Kids, right? I said, let's pray for the kittens. They don't get hurt. I didn't tell them I hate cats. I just listened. So we can pray for those kittens. The other brothers said, I want to pray for my mom's baby. Pray for their mom's baby. We pray circled up. It was a beautiful moment before the Lord, childlike before God, believing that when we pray, God hears that he's not judging us. Like he didn't pray it right. He didn't pray it like quite like so-and-so. No, no, just pray. We got done. We chit-chatted a little bit. Then all of a sudden I feel a hand on my, my arm. Eyes are closed and he's bumbling to himself. Pray. I said, hey, buddy, Praying for me? He goes, yeah. He started to pray out loud. Prayed some really, really amazing things. He said, number one, I pray that all of my really, really hard decisions would be easy. He prayed that I would live a long life. Yes. And he prayed that I would get all of the things done that I need to get done, that I could get them done so I could go home and play with my kids. Not once did he be like, Pastor, did I pray that right? Did I say the right words? Did I? He wasn't worried about it at all. Friends, you need to know God loves you. He's accepted you. And because of Christ, his goodness wants to come into your life. And when you walk in that fellowship with God, it begins to purify and restore an innocence that's been lost in your life. And the more innocence grows, the more freedom you feel not to perform, not to try and be like somebody else, not to this or that, just to know that God loves you and that he's with you. And that freedom is the greatest feeling in the world. Like, Pastor, how do, I, how do we get to that point though? One way, let me help you. One, one thing to practice this week, to eat from the tree of life. Meditate on God's word. If you want to restore the innocence and build a strong fellowship with God to where you really know him, where it's always growing, always nurturing, always amazed, and you keep wanting to go back for more every single day, you just can't wait to spend time with God. If you want to get to that point, and you really want life to grow and you want to receive that innocence to come back because of this fellowship, meditate on God's word. Romans 12 says, 
Don't conform. Don't, don't show up and put on airs like the rest of the world. That's what that word conform means. Don't try and dress like, act like, think like the rest of the world system that's always trying to compete, always comparing yourself. Don't, don't, don't mom try and be the next Pinterest amazing thing that, no, don't worry about the parties that you didn't plan. Don't worry about, moms, don't, don't get caught in the comparison trap. Don't, don't be conformed to those ways of thinking about your life and your approval. Just know that God loves you. It says to not be conformed in that way, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? What you do? Take a scripture, truth of God, God's word. You memorize it and you mutter it to yourself. You mull it over in your mind. Eastern meditation says to silence the environment and to empty yourself of every thought. Just empty it all, empty it all, empty it all. Biblical meditation is different. Biblical meditation is to take the thoughts, replace them with the better truth. So when you don't feel like you're good enough, you take that thought and you find a scripture to replace that thought with it. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation. Romans 8, 1 and 2. For those who are in Christ Jesus, I am loved and I accept it. And you, and you replace that negative lie with the truth of God's word. In ancient times and even actually still to this day, go to Jerusalem, go to the, this wailing wall, this prayer wall, and you'll see these rabbis rocking back and forth rhythmically. Eyes closed, muttering to themselves. You know what they're doing? They're meditating on the truth of God's word. This week, get alone. Find a scripture, find a truth, something that is gonna speak life to you, that's helping you. Find that scripture. Close your eyes and begin to think about what that scripture means. Begin to say out loud to yourself, murmuring to yourself, God, you've loved me. Christ redeemed me from the curse, Galatians chapter three. You, you, you became that, so I don't have to, God, you wanna know me, John 17, three. Your desire is to know me, God. I pray that I would know you. And you begin to mutter to yourself for a few minutes and you'll begin to s- discover that the things that you know or that you hear, you'll begin to be transformed to, to seeing things the way God sees them. You begin to be transformed to the place where you're loved the way God wants you to be loved. You don't have to doubt it. You don't have to wonder about it. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to be approved for it. No, no, it's yours. His goodness is for you. His love is for you. It's this childlike innocence. God wants to restore in you. And in that innocence, you'll find yourself more free than you've ever been before. First Peter 1 says this, be holy for I am holy. It's God talking to us. He's not saying, you be holy. Don't embarrass me. Act the right way in Walmart. How dare you? Put that back. Don't touch it. Right? Like, be holy. I'm holy. You be holy. That's what he said. Be holy. God, in other words, you're already holy. Because God lives in you. Holy doesn't mean certain hairstyles, 
certain dress, certain conservative approach to life. That's not holiness. Holiness is transparency before God. It's an innocence before God. Allow your relationship with God to grow as you seek to know Him and watch the innocence be returned and reclaimed in your life. As you meditate on God's Word, it'll transform your faith in your life. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer today? Father, Lord, I thank you for your love that's great. But your goodness is what you want us to experience. It's how you want to be known as a good God. Father, I pray for anybody in this room that might be doubting your love, Lord, that they would recognize that your love for them is great. You demonstrated it. And while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. He hung on that tree, on that cross to pay a debt that we couldn't pay, living a life we can't live. But Lord, as we put our faith in him, we can have this relationship, this right relationship with you. God, may you seal it in our hearts today that your greatest desire isn't for us to be good Christians, isn't for us to act a certain way, live a certain way, vote a certain way. Lord, your greatest desire is that we would know you and be known by you. This week, God, help us to meditate on your word. Help us find the scriptures, find the truths to hold on to. May we murmur it aloud so that we can hear it as we meditate and think about what it means. Memorizing it and getting it deep into our hearts. Restore this innocence, God. And may our faith be childlike in every way. As children loved by you, in awe of you, that are pure in our hearts and in our love for you. Set us free, God. May we eat from the tree of life today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said.